Welcome to the Tej Talks Podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tej Talks. This is a really good episode if you are new to property or if you're starting out with not a lot of money. We talk about rent-to-rent, HMOs, and rent-to-rent SA, the differences between them, and we go into some figures and how much it can cash flow you. But of course, we go into the reality of it. And what I really loved about this is Evie shared so much knowledge with us, and it wasn't complex. It wasn't you know overly dressed up. It was just straight-up facts and knowledge. And some really good tips are throughout this podcast, not just for rent to rent, but for anyone in property. And just a reminder, I have two books on Amazon, The Test Talks Guide to Property Investing, and my latest one with 43 epic property investors, most of whom you probably recognize, sharing content they have never, never shared before in my book. Think Tim Ferriss's Tribe of Mentors for Property. Behind the bricks, go and get it. Also, me and James Soto, or Uncle James, you might know him as, are starting, or may have started at this point, a property networking event. Thepropertyevent.co.uk. Sign up, come see us. Evie, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Hello, thank you so much for having me. I think your your story is going to be really inspiring, you know, for a lot of people who are looking to get into property and I know you write about this on your blog which I'll I'll share in the notes with people but you know you definitely started I would say very young you know I remember you know you think you started at 19 I was playing Xbox and just not really (laughs) kind of thinking about my future or my career so it is really inspiring to see how you did this and you didn't start with 100 grand you know you started kind of realistically I think and yes yeah I'm looking forward to to getting into that but before you got into property before we get into that what were you doing before yeah of course so what I did before was I did I studied business at college um so that's what I did straight after my GCSEs and I was there for two years and then from there I went straight to nationwide working as a bank clerk um and it was it was okay like it, it got me started obviously in the working my working journey um but it wasn't for me um so then I went into to be a financial assistant um and then alongside working at Focus being a financial assistant that's when I started Pegasus Estate um and so it kind of like merged and then I went into full-time property it was kind of a year or year or so after starting um so yeah before it was kind of like I knew I always wanted to have my own business but I just didn't know what in or where to start so it was kind of just discovering property and then getting stuck into it and that's when I managed to go full-time and you know when you were working in these jobs did did you kind of think I know you know you said you know you wanted to have your own business but did you think for a moment that hmm this is all right you know I'm working nine to five, I get a good salary or, you know, I get a salary. Yeah. Did you, did it ever, did you ever think, let me just get jobs and just have a job for life? No, so it just, it was never for me. Like I always knew, like even before working, so at school, at college, I always knew that that wasn't going to be for me. Like I don't particularly like being told what to do. <laughs> um, and, I don't, and I don't really like the idea of like forever working nine to five in a job that I'm not particularly like in love with. Like it's not mine. It's not, it's someone else's dream. Do you know what I mean? It's not for me. 
Um, mm. And that's kind of how I always thought. And then obviously when I went to Nationwide and I went to Focused, it just re- reiterated that for me. Um, it made me realise that this definitely isn't for me and how quickly can I do something to get me out of it. Um, yeah. Obviously, it's nice to have the steady salary. It's nice to obviously have um, paid for holidays um, and stuff like that. But yeah, it just definitely wasn't for me and I couldn't have carried on. And where did you get that kind of inspiration from? Because I think, you know, when we are young and when I suppose yeah. at any point in life, if we haven't had something or someone that maybe shows us, oh, hey, you, you can do something different. It's hard for us to imagine it. So was there anyone or anything for you? No, there wasn't, to be honest. Like, since a really young age, like probably, like, 14 years old, I don't know what it was, because all my family had kind of been, like, mainstream, normal jobs. Like, nobody else in my in my family owns a business or anything or is self-employed. So it wasn't like I had someone who I was like, yeah, that's what I'm going to be like. Um, it was more, like I said, like, since 14, I always used to bring up, like, business plans. Like, I used to want to own my own nursery, so I'd write a business plan about that. Then I was going to set up a milkshake shop. Um, like, there's loads of different things. And I think it's just... I don't know, it was just in me. Like, it wasn't that I always, like, followed someone who had gone down that path or anything like that. It was just something in me that I knew I always wanted. Um, mm. And then I suppose also social media had a big role to play as well. Like, when I got a bit older and I was on Instagram and stuff like that, and you obviously see these other people who are self-employed or show a different kind of lifestyle um, or YouTubers and stuff like that, I think that kind of inspired me as well. And I thought, yeah, that's what I want. Like I wanted the freedom that comes with being self-employed and the time as well. I didn't want to be restricted to a nine to five and only then have the evenings and the weekends to enjoy. I wanted to make sure I had all the time in the world kind of thing. Mm. Um, And that's kind of why and what sparked it. Yeah. I think that's a a quite a common sort of theme. I'd say that like 99% of people who come on it, it's that freedom. It's not necessarily the money, but it's what the money gets you. That's yeah, that's good. And, you know, at this point when you were thinking, right, I'm going to start my own business. Obviously you had lots of ideas. And I remember reading on your blog that you would pitch it to your family, like all the time, (laughs) like it was a mini dragon's (laughs) den. Um, That's it. What, so out of all those ideas and obviously property being an idea, why was property the idea that won? Yeah, I think it was because I could see other people doing well. So like with all my other ideas, I was like, it was more, I don't know, it wasn't my passion and I couldn't really see it going anywhere. Whereas with property, it's been done before. You can see people look successful from it. Um, And I I just feel like it would just fitted for me. me. Do you see what I mean? Mm. So like I could see other people doing well. So I was like, right, if they're doing well, let's see what they're doing and follow them. Um, And then especially how I came across Paul Preston's seminar advertised on Facebook. And I was like, right, let's just go for it. And I'd never actually heard of Rent to Rent before I went to his seminar. Mm. Um, So we went there, learned about it. I'd obviously heard about buy-to-lets and stuff because my partner's mum actually has a few Mm buy-to-lets. So I kind of knew the simple process of it. And I just never really knew there was anything of such thing as rent to rent. So when we learned about it, I was like, right, that's a really good place to start because you don't need so much capital. But then it could give me a good cash flow to then build up the capital to get a buy-to-let portfolio. And that's kind of how it started. And I think basically the key to it was I could see other people were successful from it. So I thought, why not try that? Whereas all my other ideas were kind of just on the whim kind of ideas that I couldn't actually see working. Whereas property gave me a good like idea of how to make it work. 
Mm. And, you know, my next question was going to be, how did you pick what strategy to do? But it seems like it's kind (laughs) of, you know, was it picked for you or was it, uh, was it a case of your sort of situation and your scenario, whether that be sort of cash in the bank experience that this was the best strategy? Like, how did you know that you should do this? Yeah, I think it was because basically just we didn't have the capital to actually buy a first buy to let. Um, so I thought rent to rent is a really good idea. It's like a cheaper way to get into the property market and then also build your experience and your cash flow and then be able to do what I wanted to do. Um, so that's kind of why I chose rent to rent. Obviously, there's a lot of risk involved, but at that time, like you just mentioned, I was 19 and I was quite naive. And I feel like that actually, in a way, helped me because I kind of just went for it. Like I didn't really think twice. I was just like, right, let's just go for it. Because obviously, I didn't have a mortgage. I don't have any children, so I didn't really have any like liabilities. So I kind of just thought, right, go for it, and it kind of just went from there. And then obviously now I am looking at starting a buy select portfolio. So I feel like it kind of helped me get to that point where I can then afford a buy to let um so that's kind of why I chose rent to rent and I originally chose rent to rent HMOs purely because I thought it'd be easier um and now obviously I have rent to rent essays as well and I actually prefer the short let side rather than the HMOs and what why is that I don't know I think it's more interesting like because I'm not a massive fan of having like long-term tenants and trying to build a relationship with those tenants I prefer like the customer service side of the essay business Mm. and I also I enjoy like setting the properties up I enjoy getting the photos taken and things like that rather than I don't know the whole setup of the HMO and then obviously essays obviously make more money so they're more rewarding um and yeah, I think I just enjoy it just purely because of that, really. Um, I'm not a massive fan of managing lots of tenants. <laughs> I, I don't blame you. I think hospitality has its challenges and, you know, of course. I suppose is a different kind of type of person and challenge and complaint. And Yes. But I think if we look at it bluntly as well, you know, tenancy law versus yes, SA exactly. law. If you want someone out of your SA, it's pretty easy. It's, yeah, that's it. Someone out of your HMO, what, six oh months, my goodness. eight months? How long you got? Yeah. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so no, definitely. I think that was definitely a, a smart decision. And, and, you know, and you learned from experience, right? You did both and you realised, actually, I prefer this. But, you know, people listening might be the opposite or they might not like either of them. Yeah, that's it. So when you started out, you got your first rent-to-rent HMO in three months? Yes, it was January, February... So I went to the Port Preston thing in January, late January, and we got it, the first one in April. Wow. Okay, so that's pretty quick. And I think, you know, that's good for people listening to hear that you, know, yes. you can do it quickly if you take action and you've got the right knowledge. 100%. Yeah. I think that was because, like, we obviously went to the seminar and you kind of, like, learn all the basics and stuff like that. Um, and they didn't actually pay for a course or anything like that. I just then went on YouTube. I went to our local PIN meetings. I went on to Facebook. And it was just kind of networking and getting all that information together. And like every evening after work, I'd be on YouTube. I'd be researching rent to rent. I'd be talking to estate agents. I'd be on Gumtree, on Open Rent. I was kind of just doing it all. Um, and then that's kind of how it got us the first deal. Mm. Just persistently learning and talking to other people. And, you know, with, I suppose if we kind of look at that period, you know, from going to the seminar, from kind of getting your first one, yeah, you know, did you have 
any sort of concerns or pain points? Because, you know, when people start anything new, it's always like, ah, well, how am I going to, you know, for example, rent to rent, how am I going to convince the agent? How am I going to mm. not try and put a deposit down? How am I, you know, did you have these kind of uh, pain points, I suppose, or challenges that you had to work through? Yeah, it's kind of like, how do I propose this idea to somebody? That was my biggest struggle. Like, how do I make this sound normal and not like I'm just coming here to sublet and sound like kind of dodgy? Do you know what I mean? Like, like that was mm. my biggest concern and the biggest obstacle I faced. And there was many trial and errors. Like, I went to estate agents and I probably said the completely wrong thing. But after all of all those attempts and then all like tweaking what I was saying and things like that, it then got us to the first deal. And I would say, with the deposit and things like that, that I don't know, our first one, I mean, I paid six months up front and a deposit. It was not the best deal. Like I didn't create, I didn't get rid of the deposit and things like that. Like some people do really clever things and can sort things out. Whereas for me, I didn't. And so that wasn't really an obstacle. I was just like, right, let's just do it. Um, it was more like I say, just getting the estate agent or landlord on, on board and understanding what it is that I was looking to do with their property without scaring them away. That was kind of the biggest obstacle and understanding what the right thing to say was. Yeah, I think that is probably the biggest obstacle for a lot of people. I don't do rent yes. to rent, but when I hear people talking about it or there's an event and there's a rent to rent speaker and people are asking questions, it's pretty much always, how do I convince the agent? You know, all the yeah. vendor, the agent's like, oh, we don't do this, it's subletting, blah, 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 all this, you know, agents being agents. Um, yeah, so that's it. For you, you know, what, what was your approach? Obviously not giving any of your, your secrets away, but what was your approach uh, to then, you know, getting the agent or the vendor to actually understand it and kind of be like okay cool and then I suppose the second part of that question is obviously this is your first ever one so yes. how did you get over that hurdle slash did they even ask yeah so they did ask to be honest they weren't like that hot on it the agent I went to is like a little independent agent who just works solely in Oxford um, and the reason I think they understood it was because actually as an agency they do rent to rent themselves which I didn't know at the time but I've now discovered um, and I think because of that they understood what I meant so even if I blabbed a bit even if I didn't exactly explain it perfectly they understood what it is that what it was that I was trying to achieve because they already did it themselves um, so that helped in, in my favour. And also I would just say it's kind of playing it down a little bit. So rather than going in and saying, oh, I'm subletting and stuff like that and like waving red flags around, just kind of explain it like a company let um, and you're housing your clients or something like that well, or like a relocation agent rather than going in and being like, oh, yeah, I'm going to sublet it and rent it out on Airbnb. Like don't go and say that because that's going to scare someone off. So still tell them the truth because obviously you need to. Um, but just don't, yeah, don't wave red flags and don't try and scare them off. Just try and play it cool and explain it in a way that they understand so that estate agents will know what a company let is. And it's exactly the same structure. It's just not your employer employees going in. Um, so that's kind of how I got around it. And like I say, that estate agent did rent rent themselves. So they were knowledgeable and they understood what I was going to do. And I think that really, really helped. And then the second deal I had, I said the same kind of thing. Um, they were just a normal estate agent, so they didn't do rent to rent. But because I'd had that experience and that confidence from my first deal, it really helped. And I think as soon as you get that first deal over the line and you've got that to show to other people, 
that really massively helps because they make trust you because somebody else has trusted in you before and it's worked. So then you can show that to the new estate agents or new landlords and then they believe in you. Um, and also having meetings with them. So I had an estate agent who then um, arranged a meeting with ourselves, the landlord and the estate agent all together at the property. And that worked really well because it gave everybody an opportunity to ask everyone questions, how it would work, how the estate agent could potentially still be involved, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how I would say I would just say don't go in there saying you're going to sublet and put on Airbnb, basically. Mm. There's some really good tips in there. And I think it's so interesting to hear the agent being quite mature, you know, having that yeah. meeting because it's very easy for them just like, no, no, we don't get it. No, we don't do it. Or like, you know, if they do it themselves to even say, nah, I'm yeah. going to do it. Yeah. So when you were, you know, doing this and speaking to agents and trying to get these deals, you know, did you face like a lot of rejection? Were there more no's than yeses? Oh yeah. hundred percent. Like uh, so many. Um, and I would say that's a key thing for people to remember is like not to let them knows stop you. Cause I have had so many no's in my time. Like I still get no's now. Um, and that's just part of the journey. Like that is going to happen. It's inevitable. Not everybody understands it. Um, a lot of estate agents will just say no straight away. And there's a lot of convincing involved. So I wouldn't to anyone who is starting out, I would just make sure and to tell them that no matter how many no's they get, there will eventually be a yes. It's just finding that yes. Um, because so many estate agents will just straight out say no before you've even really opened your mouth. Um, <laughs> so don't worry about that. Yeah, I think it, it happens. I think m- most people listening are doing some kind of approach that's not standard. You know, most people listening are not yeah. buying a house with twenty five percent deposit and that's it. They're not taking a rental. It's like we're doing BRR, we're doing flips, we're doing HMO. We're doing yes. something where you know we offer less or we offer something totally different or something they don't understand. However, it makes the most money. And yes, you know, for people looking to start in rent to rent or anything, it's like you know like Evie just said there about convincing there's a lot of that charm negotiation persuasion whatever you want to call it it's like if you're not enjoying it and you're not passionate about it then you're not really bothered to convince someone because you're like no "Mm, i don't really care anyways (laughs) Um, yeah there's no like passion behind that is there if you're like that exactly and so you know people when you're listening and you're starting out like you have to make sure that you're interested in it you're passionate but also you know that yeah an agent is going to literally say to your face the stupidest things you've ever heard and you're going to say that's not even true like yeah and you can't do anything and they'll never change some will of course they will but some who have the best deals you probably want you're not getting them so you know just a a note to everyone listening that like yeah the rejection comes in every single level and every single element of property yeah you just got to believe in yourself really don't you like as long as you believe Mm. in yourself you will eventually get that yes. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And the second you start doubting yourself is when that yes is probably the next conversation. But you're like, oh, you know, I've had so many no's, forget it. And it's like, yeah, you were right yeah. there. You were right on the edge. <laughs> Just keep pushing. Exactly. So you know, let's talk about that first deal then, because am I right in saying you basically put put like all your savings into it? Yeah, that's right. So basically, like I said, I feel like naivety came in to play there and that actually worked in my favor um because i put in six months up front so that was nine thousand nine hundred pounds worth of rent and i put a six week deposit um which was two thousand four hundred and seventy five pounds so it was this kind of 
quite a decent amount at 19 to put forward on a deal. Um, and the money, the reason the money was in the account was because my partner and I were saving for our first house. Um, so that's where the money came from. And obviously it paid off, but it, it could not have. Um, and also it wasn't the best of deals. So like it wasn't bad. So I made around between four and 500 a month on that, that property, um, which wasn't bad, but I would say what to be careful of is obviously in hindsight, it worked out well because it got me to where I am now. However, if that deal had come up right now, say that came up tomorrow, I wouldn't go anywhere near it because although it was in Oxford, which was my location and is a good location, um, it was in a bad location of Oxford. It's not such a nice area. It wasn't that popular. So on spare room, say if you're advertising, it took a long time for me to get tenants because it wasn't such a desirable area um, and things like that. And so I'd say, although it was good and I did get tenants, it only really worked when I got good long-term tenants. When it came to then somebody moving out and trying to find um, a new tenant, that's when it became quite stressful um, and quite hard work because it wasn't popular. So I'd say that's the only problem you've got to be wary of is you might have found your location, but you need to make sure you look into specific locations as well. Look at where universities are, look where business parks are, look where you're on spare room, look where people are specifically looking. Because I would say that was our biggest mistake from that deal. And did you look at that before you purchased it and you knew it was going to be kind of tricky or did you realise after? It was more after. So obviously, like I say, it was in Oxford. So that's kind of as much (laughs) as I knew. Um, But then, and also, although I've been brought up in Oxford, I didn't know all the air, like specific areas, like really, really well. Um, So like I say, it was in like this area that's slightly, it's like, it's quite a bad location in Oxford. It's known for a bad being a bad location and I didn't know that before we took the deal on um so that was the problem because then afterwards I was like oh okay like I learned the hard way but that wasn't the best location for a HMO attracting professionals um so that would be like what I would say is like make sure you do that beforehand so like really really research that particular area rather than just going for anything I think it was just purely because it was our first deal and I just wanted anything to get us started that I went for it um and I didn't put enough time into really researching like where's the nearest bus stop or it's like little things that people look for that I didn't really know they were going to look for until afterwards mm. um I think it kind of acted like a lesson for you. I mean, a lesson That's that it. actually paid you as well. So That's it. Yeah. It, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, yeah, and a lot of people do this, you know, they, they want you want the first deal and yeah. it is not as good, but you get it because you know it's the trigger. It's yes. it's the catalyst. And like you said earlier, you said it so simply, but it's so true. It's that once people see that someone else has trusted you, they yes. trust you more and it's like it it kind of it logically makes sense, but it's just interesting that, that just one, just one, right, can open yeah. up so much more and make your life so much easier. So, you know, do you regret getting that first one, even though it was a bad deal? No, not at all. Because like, mm-hmm. like you said, like it opened the doors to all the opportunity that I've got now. Um, and I think if I hadn't have done that, who knows where I would have been. So it was 100% worth it. And I didn't lose any money. It did make me money. Um, not not loads, but it did It did make, like I say, around 400 a month, um, which isn't the best of deals, but it was better than nothing. And then it opened all the doors 
the, all the opportunities I've got now. So I definitely don't regret it. It's just if I had my time again and I was doing it all over again, I probably would just be a little bit more careful on researching specific areas. That's all. Mm. And you know, that that really highlights a difference between HMOs and buy-to-lets because yes. give or take, you can buy a buy-to-let almost anywhere and you will have yeah. very high demand. May not be the demand you want, but you will have it you know, you will get rented out. And if you buy in a generally decent area, you'll get a generally decent tenant. And yes, you know, it's kind of like, you don't have to necessarily look at, oh, is it in this catchment area? Oh, is it, you know, has it got a bus stop? Has it got an employer? Yeah. But with a HMO, you know, there's like five or six more factors that come into the location, yeah. which obviously you've learned from doing it. And now yes. every deal since then has obviously been a lot better. But just for people listening, it's not as simple as, Oh, hey, there's a town. I think no. Someone has a headquarters there. Let's get HMO in this shit part of town and, and carry. Yeah, but, you, yeah. You know, it's, it's all lessons, right? You didn't lose, you know, you, you won because you no, learned no. from it and, it and it pushed you. So with this HMO, because I think a lot of people talk about rent to rent as a great way to get into property. And I think it is. And, you know, I think yeah. you're also proof of this. But they don't talk about, which we alluded to earlier, managing multiple humans in yes. a shared space. So how did you find the management of that first property? Yes, I would say, yeah, just be careful because there is very much like this dream that is is sold to you um, when you're on seminars or on Facebook or different people's courses. Um, and it's not it's not as easy as people make it out to be. And I think that that also was something that house really showed me was actually you've now got four people, you're responsible for this property and you need to manage it and you need to deal with these people's complaints, messages, calls. Um, And I think that was really the reality of it. I was like, okay, like this is, this is what it's going to be like. And it is hard. And I feel like you need to know what you're doing. Um, and I would say now that's kind of why I don't particularly like doing HMOs. That's just me. Oh, like you all said before, like other people will have different opinions and enjoy different aspects of different things. Um, but I definitely, that's one of the parts I don't enjoy is managing multiple tenants, dealing with, you know, calls at random times. Oh, you took my milk, saying, you took my cheese. All <laughs> yeah, it's literally sometimes it's like you're being a babysitter. <laughs> like it's <laughs> it's really not easy. And it, I don't find that part particularly fun. Um, so yeah, I would say you've just got to be prepared for that. Um, because like you've just said, you do attract people who like, they do just, they will call you because someone has drank their milk and it's like, right, what do you want me to do about it? Um, and it's trying to keep your cool in those situations and keep professional, even when you may not want to. Um, so yeah. that's what you've kind of, <laughs> you've got to work out and you've got to realize that is the reality of it. It's not like, okay, I've now got this rent to rent and I'm going to earn um, 500, whatever a month. It's not that. You've got to realize all the responsibilities and the work that come with that. And also realizing that like, you are responsible. So say the boiler has packed up, like that is down to you to then sort out. And having that responsibility, you need to realise how big a responsibility that is. And I feel like some people go into it and just see the money and think it's easy and think it's a passive income, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it then just becomes a problem because they don't realise how much work and effort is involved. Mm, this is true. This is really true. And I think, yeah, you know, when when you were managing just this single HMO before you got to the rest of them, you know, would you say it felt like a full-time job or did it feel like a full-time job when you had more HMOs? 
Yeah, I would say probably when I had more HMOs. Um, it definitely wasn't full time, but it's just you don't quite know when someone's going to call you. <laughs> yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> is it's like that? Um, it's not. It's not your nine to five, is it? Do you see what I mean? Mm. Like somebody could call you at eight a.m. or ten p.m. So you've just got to always make sure you're on the ball and you're aware that that can happen. So it definitely didn't feel like full time, but it does take a lot of your attention. You kind of always have to be a little. You have to be alert. You have to be ready to potentially receive that call. Or um, do you see what I mean? But it definitely wasn't yeah. full time. Yeah, and you know what you said before about kind of you have to be professional even when you don't feel like it. I'm just, yes. that, that summarizes tenant management. I think that single. Oh, hundred percent. You're just like, what are you comp- like? Just what are you complaining about? Why are we even on the phone? Um, and you know, again, I really think that happens a lot more with HMOs than buy to lets. Um, I only have buy to lets, you know, but I have lots of friends who have HMOs, and I can see the difference. You know, like I. There's there's stuff that certainly is our responsibility, the boiler, roof, yes. things like that. But you know, a bulb not working, a bit of a you know, oh the sorts it. Um but I can imagine some HMO tenants, oh the bulb is broken, can you go to school fix? Yep. Yes. They definitely <laughs> expect me to come round and change that bulb for them. Um literally babysitting. Just send them a YouTube link and say, Here it is. Here's how you do it. Yeah, I know. It's like they don't really have the same life skills as other people do you yeah. know what I mean I don't mean I don't mean that in the nicest way possible but it's just maybe with the HMO they expect more because they're like yes. oh well you cover the bills so then surely you cover wiping my ass as well like, like yeah yeah that's it exactly that they think you'll do everything for them um yeah and they'll get rude if you don't <sighs> I, yeah I can imagine so you know after you got this first uh rent to rent HMO you then I well you currently have six rent to rent HMOs and four rent to essays is that is that correct uh we have six rent to rent HMOs and we now have seven rent to rent essays okay wow so yeah you know I suppose talk to me about after that first rent to rent HMO what where was your head at and then I suppose what was your next plan and goals to I suppose get where you are now yeah, I suppose at that point, I was like, right, let's just get on to the next. Like, I was excited to get another deal, to be honest. Um, and again, I just wanted it to be a HMO because I never actually saw myself doing essay. So again, I just went to estate agents, did the same things. I was on estate agent websites every day, checking if new properties that may be suitable had come up. And then actually, so we had the first one in April. We got a second one in May. So it actually worked. It was really quick. Um, and... So, yeah, basically, it was just kind of like I was just eager to get to the next one. Um, I never really had a main goal to where I wanted to get to. It was kind of just let's just see how this goes. Um, and like I said, it happened quite quickly. And then from there again, it just kind of it, well, it varies. Like Obviously, that was a quick one. But sometimes it takes like six months to get another deal. Do you know what I mean? It just depends on what's out there at the right time. So, yeah, mm. basically. <laughs> and then am I right in saying you had a bigger goal or maybe you have a bigger goal now, which is to be a millionaire by age 25? Yes, definitely. That's been my goal for a long, long time. Um, and that still is. I mean, I've only got three years left, so I need to hurry up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's 100% where I'm aiming to get to. And that's kind of more through buy to lets and having a larger por- property portfolio. Um, which is was always the goal with rent to rent. Like I say, even when I started rent to rent, when I went to Paul Preston seminar, my goal was always to have buy to lets. It was just finding a way of how to get there. And we're kind of 
we're getting there now, if you see what I mean. Like, so we have 13 rent to rents, and that's kind of the point where now we've got enough cash flow and enough saved to then start getting onto the buy to let um, property ladder. Mm. And we'll definitely talk about that because I love the colour of the front door on your car. Oh, bless you. Thank you. That is, like, I saw that car, I was like, what is the hex code of this color because i need this in my life oh, somewhere you. like it, it's just so nice like and i think it i haven't really seen the interior of it but i know that it's yes. gonna match and it's gonna suit it yeah, yeah. <laughs> before we get onto the to the cute cottage because i am a sucker for cottages um apart from the head height that's the big issue but yes um so, you know, earlier you kind of said, and we've kind of been talking about the differences in, you know, HMO management and then SA management, which is more kind of hospitality. With your renter SAs, uh, what is, so are you looking at different locations to the HMOs and are you looking at different types of buildings or is it the same sort of blanket look? Yeah, 100%. Like they do differ quite a lot. So they're all they're all in Oxford. Well, we also, we also have one in Bournemouth, but they're mainly, mainly in Oxford. But they are in different locations. So like the HMOs, for example, are in areas that have business parks. There's a big BMW mini plant in Oxford. So, for example, we've got like three HMOs that are near that, um, near BMW because of that. So that attracts workers, young professionals, whereas the SA side are more in central Oxford to where the tourists are going. Um, so they are different locations and they are very different houses. So we normally go to like four to six beds for HMOs because that, that's where the figures work for us. Whereas for SA, we're more one to three bed. So you're looking at smaller, um, also more apartments, whereas the HMOs are large houses. So you definitely, yeah, with, it might be different for each city or town. However, that's how it works in Oxford. And like I say, it's more central Oxford, where the tourists are going, where the hotspots are, rather than where the um, big companies are. And then I suppose with that kind of difference, so I have an essay and it's it's sort of very touristy, but yes. it is also very heavily kind of companies and builders, contract, all that kind of stuff. Because yeah. I was being a buy-to-let investor, I'm clearly not that, risk, I'm not, not that risky. So I was like, right, I need to have tourists and I need to have the other half, which is the kind of... A bit of, of both. Yeah to kind of i suppose yeah just keep it safe and in winter and things like that with yours being town center do you find that say in the down seasons um Mm -hmm. which traditionally can be winter which is like most of the year in this country um you know do you find that you are attracting non-tourists or what's your kind of mix of people yeah i would say oxford's pretty strong so the market's good I would say the only down periods we have are January and February. There are really quiet times. However, like September, so say like autumn, winter, so September to December, it's actually really busy. Like not as busy as June, July, August, but it's still very good. Whereas January, February and March as well, I suppose, there are kind of quiet periods. And we do sometimes get contractors. So we have people who do come to us over those kind of months when our rates are a bit lower and attract contractors. But the main people we used to have before coronavirus were Americans and Chinese guests. Um, They were kind of our main market. I think that's just what Oxford attracts. And obviously at the moment, we just have people who are like visiting family, coming to Oxford to go sightseeing. I would say definitely since there's not international travel like there used to be at the moment, we definitely are attracting shorter term 
stays so like the one two three nights whereas before when you did attract like american guests and stuff you would have like the week the two weeks um but ours is pretty much all year round which is quite lucky and like i say then when it is quieter we do attract contractors as well um so it's pretty it's not risk-free obviously but it's a it's a strong it's a strong place to do it yeah i think that's that's something I just realised. Obviously, Oxford is a city, a very popular one, a very yes. architectural, historical one. So even when it's raining and it's cold, people will still visit because people still want to go. They're not yeah. sitting on a beach in the cold. They're, they're kind no. of just in England, and that's this is what happens here. And that's it. If you want to see a town, you're going to go see it, no matter the weather. So, <laughs> yes. You know, with these uh, renter essays, I assume that you're like managing them, every element of it. Yes, I do. So my partner and I actually manage it together. Um, and yes, we do it all at the moment. It is something that I would like to eventually hand over to somebody else, but it's kind of like finding that right time of when that would be. Because um, at the moment, it's not too much work. Like where we're both full time in in property, it's not too much for two people. Um, so at the moment, it's just kind of managed by us, just like we always have done. And we both have access to the HMO group chats we both have access on airbnb and booking.com etc and so it's just fairly split um between us both do you find that you know managing the essays from you know getting bookings trying to get direct bookings managing the platforms to the the cleaning to the maintenance do you find that given you have seven of them do you find that it i know there's two of you but it kind of becomes a lot of your day doing that or do you kind of systemize things yeah, a lot of it is systemized, but I say, well, it doesn't take up a lot of your day, but it does, like, it's constantly in my mind, obviously. Like, I norm- what I normally like to do is, like, just blast it out in the morning because I'm always most productive in the morning. So kind of from, like, 7 a.m. onwards, I'll just, like, get on with my to-dos, get on with the admin, do the cleaning rotor, um, look at Airbnb, make sure everything's okay, et cetera, et cetera. And also, and then I kind of have the afternoon free. That's kind of what I like to do, unless, obviously, I've got a lot of work on. Um, and also a lot of it is systemized so like the airbnb messages and stuff like that they all go out automatically um so it's not as though i'm having to actually sit there and send um quite a few guests messages like it's all automatic unless they come back to me with a question that i specifically need to answer and then again they don't really contact you unless there's a major problem um and if there is a problem then obviously that does take your attention but we do have such a good team based in oxford that i just ring the right person and they get it sorted straight away so it's not right there's much time and hassle in in that process and i think because we found such good people that it makes that whole um process a lot easier and you don't live in oxford do you no we don't so obviously i am from oxford and my family still live in oxford but my partner and i moved to dorset so again it does have to be very systemized it had to have things in place because obviously we weren't there so like one of those small little changes we made was that we put two lock boxes at each house like each property so one's the guests one's the management lock box whereas before obviously if someone was locked out or lost a key or whatever like we could go there and we could sort it all out Whereas you just got to think all those little things through, like, okay, when was it that people needed me? When's my attention needed? And then try and sort a solution to that to that problem. And one of those things was like the, like the lockbox, like little details like that. And that really helped us be able to run it from afar. Um, mm. So, yeah, and also our family are very good. So my partner's family always help out and stuff like that. And I think that really helps to have like the right people around you who will help out. 
um, and like a good plumber, a good electrician, etc. Things like that, and that really helps. Absolutely, the right people, whether it's family, friends, tradespeople, or you know, kind of a hybrid of both. It's yes, it is so vital. And lockbox, you know, it's like you you actually said there about sort of looking at understanding the problems that you're going to face you know being further away or even just generally you're going to face and fixing them and i think yeah i think we should all do that in our businesses right it's kind of like an analysis of where's the pain points where's my customers pain points where's my pain points what can i do is is it finding a va is it putting a lockbox on that is you know again a really simple point but something that we just don't do we just work in the business and on it and then we just forget that hold on a minute i hate doing this why am i doing this what, why is that happening so it's important to people to analyze their workflows so yeah. talk us through the figures of of one of your rent to sa deals so the listeners can understand yeah i suppose what you're getting for your hard work yeah of course so i've got I've put down my latest deal um so basically with that one we were really lucky we went direct to landlord um, and it was only the deposit needed. And we got that down to four weeks. So that was 1,800 that we put um, up front. The, the property was fully furnished and it had like all soft furnishings. It had all kitchenware. It was literally like ready to go. Um, it was beautiful. So it wasn't even like we had to go and like tart it up or anything. Like it was nice from the start. Um, so you put 1,800 in. There's no other costs. Um, we get around an average of around 160 a night. So say you're looking at 70% book, um, that's kind of what we work on to like work out our profits is working on 70% rather than obviously 100%. Um, taking out bills and the rent, that's around 1,500 profit a month. Um, and obviously that's 160 average. Obviously in August, that's going to make more. Um, and obviously we are normally around 90 to 100% occupied. So again, you'll make more. But I would say if you're going to, if you're new to it and you're looking at working out a deal and looking at your margins and stuff, we always work on 70% because that's more realistic. So make sure, say your target profit is a thousand pounds a month, make sure that that works on your 70% rather than your a hundred percent. That's kind of how we work it out. But yes, yeah, I would say our target's always to make at least a thousand on an essay a month. Um, but again, you can make a lot more. It just depends on the location, obviously, how much you can charge a night and um, what season you're in. So obviously, as you said before, like June, July and August, you're obviously going to make more probably than like January and February. Obviously, it depends where you are, but that's kind of standard. Um, and I would also say like some of our sleep, like four guests, some of our sleep seven. So not obviously the seven bit, the one that can sleep seven can obviously reach a higher nightly rate. Um, you're more likely to attract like parties and uh, yeah, like unwanted guests potentially in like when you can uh, uh, sleep seven, but you are then going to make a bigger profit because you can charge more. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how, what, what we look for. Interesting. I think there's, there's always a balance, right? In terms of like, yeah, you can make more, but do you want to with? That's it. You've got to weigh it up, don't you? Pros and cons of that. Exactly. And, you know, I think to, to be making 1,500, even a thousand pounds a month profit. Yeah. And actually the thing I really love about SA is that you can, you know, you're in, well, I suppose in this case, you didn't have to do too much, but generally you're kind of interior designing and like fully furnishing and decorating a place. Now that. Yeah. 
pictures of that kind of as a case study as like a bit of support for agents for investors goes a long way because it does you know i do a buy to let it's just four walls and carpet and it's like yeah <laughs> i don't know how pretty i can i can i can make this um but essay really i think for me can add some vibrancy to your portfolio and to your um case studies but you know, a thousand, one thousand, five hundred pounds a month. You times that by however many people need. That's it. You know, people listening. You know, work out your salary and work out how many essays that could be. Worst case. Yeah. Because that's it. You, wow. Yeah, definitely. It's yeah. It's a really good amount, and I suppose it's an amount that. Yeah, maybe people don't realise because you know a buy to let brings in three hundred, three hundred fifty quid a month. Yeah. This is another level and you don't even own the house. So it's like <laughs> even better. Like obviously it does depend on where you are, what mm. might rates you can charge and stuff like that. Um, but no, it's kind of like, it's not easy money. That's the wrong way to mm-hmm. say it, but it is, you can get a lot of money for the amount of time you actually put into it. As long as you do it right and you do your market research. And like you say, like I have houses that were came unfurnished and I furnished them and it's like, it's fun making them look nice, making sure they stand out. And as long as you do all of the right things and you've done the right calculations, then you can get big money from them. And like I say, especially over the summer months, they can do really, really well. And have you had any horrible experiences with SA? Any guests? Any, um, any weird Yes. Stuff? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've had one that really stands out is somebody booked it on Airbnb. Um, they went through like verification and everything, like all the normal checks. Um, and they rented it. And then we found out that they re-rented it on Gumtree. Um, and then they basically had a tenant in there. So when my cleaners went in the next day, there was this person in there saying, oh, no, 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 like, I rent this property like full-time, like on an AST. <laughs> um, so I, I got the call from my cleaners. And I was like, what on earth is going on? Um, and so basically somebody had rented it through Airbnb and then re-rented it on Gumtree to somebody on like an AST basically. And so obviously we had to get the police involved and luckily within the day they got kicked out. Um, But obviously it's just a very stressful thing. And also you didn't see it coming because it wasn't as though it was like a direct booking that they hadn't signed my terms and conditions or anything. It was like a legit booking through Airbnb. So it's something you wouldn't expect. Um, So obviously that was pretty scary, but luckily police came, got the person out and everything was okay. but obviously it's just not a very nice experience and things like that like can happen obviously um but as you said earlier like laws around SA like you can just get the police and they will get them out whereas with an AST and a HMO if you've got a long-term tenant you have to go to court you're going to take six six months to a year do you know what I mean so it's it's just different Mm. that is that is rude someone trying to rent to rent to rent to rent to rent like it's lots just, of rent to rents there yeah the rent to rent cubed that's that's i mean i mean they must have been charging the person a lot of money to make a margin on top of an sa price well, like that's it i don't know what they were doing like because they literally but the thing is they only rented it out for one night and then obviously then thought that they could rent it out free so like they weren't trying to like make do you see what I mean? They didn't have to break even or anything. They paid like one fifty a night and then let it out for the year. That's. I mean, what did they? Well, I know. I don't know how they thought they were going to get away with it. But you got to be real stupid to to have that as your business idea. Bloody hell! Yes. And so, uh, you know, obviously this the rent to rents for you. You know, obviously they created you know a lot of income. They helped you yeah. live, and obviously, they, but the main thing I suppose that we touched to earlier was to buy your own properties and to do buy to lets. So your first property uh, at the age of 20, which is 
incredible. Um, Thank you. Uh, even more incredible because I think the UK average first time buyer is 30, what, 30 something? 30? Yeah. I don't know what it is, but it's kind of old. Yeah, it is, and, and that's. I think that is more so with like a ten percent deposit because it's you know kind of a resi thing. Generally, when we buy stuff, it's like twenty five percent deposit. Yeah, so of course. again, you know, it really shows two things: one, how hard you worked, you and your partner worked. Yeah, thank you. And secondly, how awesome rent to rent can be with a lot of hard work. That's it. You know, yeah. to allow you to buy a house pretty quickly, given you started you know when you were like 19 um talk to me about the first buy to let what is it where is it and yeah did you have to refurb it what is it yeah so basically it's actually my so basically it's not actually buy to let so what it is is my partner and i live in it so it's our property now mm. um that we live in um so we bought it just like a normal residential mortgage and then we've been in it now for just coming up to two years and then what we're looking to do is turn this into a buy-to-let. So get a buy-to-let mortgage or maybe just consent to let, first of all. Mm-hmm. Um, and then get another property in Oxford. So that's kind of our main plan. But basically, this one was just a normal residential um, property. So we kind of moved in and everything was kind of as it is now. Like, we didn't really have to do anything to it. So... It's not really the same as obviously like a buy-to-let or anything like that yet, but we are looking at exploring into the option of turning this into buy-to-let because obviously it's a cute cottage in Dorset by the sea, so it could do well as a holiday let. So that's our kind of plan. Mm, yeah, it would do really well as a buy-to-holiday let because you'd make even more money than a rent-to-holiday let because yeah, the mortgage will be yeah way, way lower than rent. and that's Way less, yeah. Yeah, okay. And then, you know, I suppose now moving forward, you know, yeah. have obviously got the, the millionaire plan by 25. <laughs> yeah. Have you got, you know, a kind of, have you set a plan and some goals or, or like steps of like how you're going to do the buy to lets and how you're going to get to that goal? Yeah, I suppose, like I say, so my kind of idea is to turn our house now into a buy to let, um, obviously get money from that, then go get a house in Oxford, um, live in it, for a bit basically because what happens is we go between oxford and dorset an awful lot so it'd be what my plan is is to obviously have this house which is have a cottage in dorset let it out have a house in oxford let it out and kind of go between the two so Mm. if both want airbnb i can just block it out when we're there um and then also then get a third buy to let as well so like do you see what i'm trying to say like three houses um but obviously live between oxford and dorset we just got to choose our which base works best because although obviously it is systemized and we have a lot of help in Oxford, it's always easier when we're there. Like that's obviously going to be inevitable. Like it's just easier when we're there, but we still want to be here. Um, so it's kind of getting that balance between the two. But yeah, the plan is I would just say to get more rent to rent. So like I'm definitely still looking for more rent to rent um, and rent to rent essays in particular. And then obviously starting the buy to let portfolio. That's kind of the plan. Mm. Um and how I see that I will get to that point. And I suppose, you know, with the renter essays, you want more because, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You, you know what you're doing. You've got it systemized and it makes, it makes money. So, yeah, you know, there's an argument to say, well, cause a lot of people, are like, Oh, well, rent to rent, you don't own the house. Blah, blah, blah. Well, mm. who cares? Like, well, that's it. 
25% down or do you want to put down a month to, or nothing? It's like, you know, there's definitely an argument there that pe- for people listening don't listen to, you know, obviously do your own research. It depends on you and your situation. But as you can see, pure cash flow, this is strong, right? And it, it it's proven to you that it's strong. That's it. It's not going to make you like wealthy and on paper, obviously you don't have as many like the assets that mm-hmm. obviously a buy to let portfolio would give you. And that is why I want to create the buy to let portfolio. But it is a brilliant way, like just to get cash flow. Um, and then again, you can then invest that money in other things that will bring you wealth. That was kind of my idea and what I would say to other people thinking about it is, is rent to rent a brilliant way to get a quick cash flow and e- an easier way to get into the property uh, on the property market um, and then you can use that money to get you wealth um, that's kind of my idea absolutely and that property girl evie is your blog <laughs> yes. uh, and it, you know it's unusual to see people doing blogs nowadays because of you know tiktok instagram youtube yes people tend to kind of just shoot straight for the video stuff writing seems to yeah i don't know maybe it's like a lost art uh yeah what made you start a blog yeah, to be honest, I've always wanted to share my story, share tips and stuff like that. And I did think of YouTube and I still do. I always think, oh, should I do it? Should I do it? And I just feel like I'm not that confident in front of a camera. And that's what made me think, right, what else can I do? That's the same kind of thing. But obviously you're just writing. Like no one's seeing you. You can do it in your own time. You can write what you want. And that's kind of where the blog came. And it was more like I don't make money from it. It's not monetized. So it's more just a little hobby um, that I kind of do when I fancy and stuff like that. And I share it on Instagram. Um, I just try and do it just to like a bit like your podcast, like just to open up people's eyes and show people what you can do with property and the opportunities that are out there and try and show them how accessible it is as well. Um, Cause a lot of people I think think that property is like hard and Oh God, I couldn't do that. Or I don't have the money to do that. And they just shut it off and, and just be like, no, can't do that. Whereas I'm just trying to open up people's eyes and be like, look, 19-year-old with little to no money can do it, so so can you. Um, yeah. And that's kind of what I like to try and put out there. I love that. That's that's important. You know, like I said right at the start, you know, a lot of people need someone else like them in some shape or form, like doing something they want to do for them to say, oh, you know what, okay, like, cool, This this I can do this then. And um you were in YPN magazine, of course, which is awesome. Well done on that. Um, Thank you. And, you know, I will put your Instagram, your blog, everything in the show notes. People will go check out your blog. Perfect. Uh, and last question. Uh, if you could have dinner with anyone, dead or alive, which two or three people would it be and what would you eat? Oh, gosh. That's a tricky question. I would probably say I like to eat with Stephen Bartlett. Oh, yes. Good and... Question. Grace Beverly. Oh, you know what? Really good choice. I love them both. Yeah. They're the two people I look up to the most. And obviously they're, they've done very, very well. Um, I love watching them both on Instagram. I've read both of their books. Um, and I would, so I'd basically just love to talk to them. I'd love to be friends with them, to be honest. Um, and then to eat, um, probably just go for a roast dinner. I like it. I like it. And those two, Grace especially, is just like hilarious. Like, obviously, she's doing incredible things, but it's like she's so, I think she does the personal brand piece really well because yeah, she just posts all the weird shit she does. That's it. She's so good at like just being herself. Like, yeah. And it's, you connect with her. Like, you don't need 
I was like, oh, does her company make men's clothes? Because like, you just, you kind of like instantly connect because you're like, yeah, we all do that stuff, but you actually show us. And you're showing, yeah. Yeah. And obviously Stephen, you know, he just, he's so intelligent and he, yeah, he doesn't show his life like she does, but I think he just gives that kind of pure content value 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 knowledge yeah Mm. so together i think they make a really cool kind of and they did a podcast together so it's a really cool kind of yeah combination and for people listening i'll put their instagrams too in the um in the show notes and yeah so evie thank you so much for coming on the tej talks podcast it's been awesome thank you very much for having me i've enjoyed it thank you if you like this podcast connect with tej on facebook linkedin and youtube for more great content